thing is sustainability. You know, if you do a program that's four or eight weeks long or something like that, and then after the eight weeks, you just abandon ship and just go back to whatever you were doing, it doesn't make sense. You know, you want something that you can just implement these small everyday changes that become a part of your lifestyle and it doesn't feel like you're dieting or you're sticking to a program. It's just the way you live. And for someone like me, I used to be so caught up in measuring everything and weighing out my food and making sure I hit X amount of protein per day based off of, you know, whatever my goal was. And nowadays I just eat intuitively and I go to the gym. I just like my non-negotiables are that I eat healthy. I drink a lot of water. I go to the gym every day or do some type of movement every single day. And then I try to get good sleep. And like those four things make a huge difference. You know, if you can just really focus on the basics. That's professional vegan bodybuilder, Nimai Delgado. And this is episode 96 of The Proof Podcast. Friends, welcome to the Plant Proof Podcast. It's great to be back here again for another episode with all of you. For new listeners, welcome. Thank you for joining us. My name is Simon Hill. I'm the host of this show, physiotherapist, nutritionist, and currently writing a book on nutrition with Penguin, which with a bit of luck will be published later this year. Title and announcement of pre-sales coming soon. I hope you get something out of today's episode that helps you become more mindful and conscious of the way that you live. That is what each episode is all about. A non-judgmental, non-preachy space to talk about diet, to talk about being mindful of our decisions and an opportunity to sit down with inspiring people from all over the world doctors, nutritionists, dietitians, athletes, people who have overcome chronic disease and generally folks that are working hard to create positive change in the world. Today is quite a casual episode. I caught up with Nimai while in Los Angeles. We generally throw in a a workout or two and, and this time we decided it would be cool to just have a catch up and record a third episode together, making it one each year since the start of this show in 2018. Nimai is, of course, a very well-known professional vegan bodybuilder who has never eaten meat in his entire life, having been brought up as a vegetarian and then changing to a vegan diet around five or, or more years ago. He also featured prominently in the Game Changers documentary. So if you have watched that, you would have definitely seen him, the most jacked guy in the film. He's kind of hard to miss. In this episode in particular, we go through a little bit more of Nimai's philosophies around training and nutrition, hear how things have been for him since the release of the Game Changers documentary, some of his business pursuits, and, and generally just get up to date. Of course, he's been on the show twice previously, so if you want more information about his story and philosophies on nutrition and bodybuilding, you can check those out too. I really love Nimai's approach and message. He is honestly one of the most down-to-earth and well-intentioned people I've come across. So it's a pleasure to have him on the show again and share this exchange with you. Anyway, going to keep this introduction short today so we can hop straight into it. 
This is Nima Delgado and myself from Venice Beach, Los Angeles. Enjoy, and I'll see you on the other side. One of the best ways to track our health is to regularly get blood work done, so we can take a peek under the hood and get a feel for the state of our cardiometabolic and hormonal health. You can do this with your local doctor, or you can use a service like Inside Tracker. The nice thing about Inside Tracker is they make the process super convenient. You can organize their phlebotomist, a person who draws blood, to come to your house or office to do the blood draw. A few days later, your results show up in the Inside Tracker app, and they provide lifestyle recommendations based on whether a particular test is suboptimal, normal, or optimal. I've checked Inside Tracker's lifestyle recommendations, specifically the exercise and nutrition ones, and I can confidently say they are evidence based and in line with the information shared in both my book and on this show. They even added ApoB to their ultimate plan, based on recommendation from myself and others. It's also nice to have all of your lab results readily accessible in one mobile app, making it easy to pull up past results and see trends and patterns over time. Get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. To get started, go to insidetracker.com forward slash Simon for this exclusive offer. That's insidetracker.com forward slash Simon. If you're a long-time listener of this show, you'll be well aware of the scientific evidence that supports a high-fiber, plant-rich diet for good long-term health. And while I certainly believe in a food-first approach, there is a role for supplements to help optimize the intake of specific nutrients and address any nutritional gaps. Enter Emil. Emil is a plant-based wellness company with a series of products to help you optimize your plant-based diet. Two of my favorite products being the Essential 8 Multivitamin and the Optimal Omega Plus. The Essential 8 contains 8 key nutrients that plant-based eaters often fall short in. And the Optimal Omega Plus contains a direct source of DHA and EPA Omega-3s, same as in fish, but from algae. In fact, taking Optimal Omega Plus daily, which contains 750 mg of EPA and DHA, is equivalent to eating 2 to 3 pieces of fatty fish per week in line with the nutrition recommendations globally. To get your Essential 8 and Optimal Omega Plus, head to theproof.com forward slash friends and follow the link which will get you an extra 10% off your first order. That's theproof.com forward slash friends. Nimai Delgado, welcome back to the Plant Proof Podcast. What's up, Simon? It's good to be back, man. Third time now. Third time's a charm. This is awesome, and it's a new year. So I think we've done one in 2018, 2019, and now 2020. Yeah. Yeah, so, so let's keep the tradition going, man. Keep it. Maybe maybe uh, more than one this year, we'll see. Yeah, hopefully. It's early days. Hopefully. What's been going on, man? A lot. <laughs> a lot's been going on, man. As you can imagine, uh, life after the Game Changers has been pretty hectic. Definitely um, a lot of opportunities been coming through after that movie released. And uh, it's been interesting to see the response from people um, on a global on a global scale and the interest in plant-based eating, um, as well as the resistance to plant-based eating. So yeah, but overall, I've been 
keeping busy, man. Just keeping busy nonstop. I can imagine. I mean, yeah. within that movie, I mean, a number of incredible people were featured. But I, I imagine in terms of sort of a, a paradigm shift, a large percentage of people would have been amazed to see someone with the physique that you have and, and the muscle mass that you have and to then look you up and discover you on social media and find out that you've never eaten meat. I think that would have taken a lot of people by surprise. Yeah. What, what's interesting is uh, talking with the producers after the film released on, on Netflix, because obviously, you know, it came out on like streaming platforms before or like the TVOD or on demand. Uh, and is that then, something over here? TVOD. Yeah. So it was like iTunes and like a few other like Amazon Prime, where okay. you could download it before it went to Netflix. But obviously, the user base of Netflix is huge. Like, I don't know, a couple, maybe 150 million or somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I technically want to count that, like, that's when the film came out. And as you know, the film, you've seen it before, but... Um, the, I was uh, fortunate enough to, I think, watch it before it came out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> quite <laughs> <An> exclusive look. <laughs> um, so I knew, but, I knew, I knew the impact as soon as I watched it. I was yeah. like, wow, this is, it's going to, it's going to create waves. Yeah, it'll, it'll be controversial, but any, you know, we we were speaking before offline or off audio, I should say, it's impossible to put everything into a, a 60, 90-minute yeah. documentary. But anyway, so so yeah, walk, walk me through the sort of response that you had. Well, it, it's been interesting. Obviously, uh, out of everyone in the film, they happened to plug my social media. So I was like forever grateful for that, that they actually showed my profile, uh, my Instagram profile. So a lot of people have found me since the film and just been blown away by the amount of interest. Like I get messages like, hundred messages a day from people saying they just watched the film, they're ready to start right away. And they completely shifted the way they look at food and um, kind of like they've lived their entire life eating meat and using animal products. And now they are convinced that, you know, this is the best approach for them. So that must feel pretty good to, to wake up and see that. Well, yeah, I mean, this is something that we've been talking about for years now. And I don't think there has been a movie or a resource or anything that has had this like move the needle this much. Like you're talking about celebrities, pro athletes, like everybody seems to be really aware of the benefits of a plant-based diet now. And now the interest is surging. And it's, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's just beautiful to see because we've been talking about it for so long now and trying to convince people and just trying to show that it's possible, not convince them, but just show them this different approach. And I think it kind of, I mean, we, we were also speaking earlier, there are a number of different documentaries and they kind of each speak to potentially someone a little different. Mm-hmm. And, and what I found in terms of the response and, and people that have messaged me is that this has really resonated with young males. Yeah. Is that the majority of people that are reaching out to you? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that was their demographic. You know, they, they took a year off the film to really study behavioral psychology and understand what it is that drives behavioral changes. And in the mass majority of men, it was, it's, it's the hardest for them to take a look at their, you know, the food that they're eating and change it. Because, you know, when young guys were, you know, we're in our teen, teenage years or even early twenties, I mean, just men in general, we're, we're pretty stubborn. Anything that challenges like your, your status quo can have a bit of a, it can almost challenge your identity. So seeing guys and like these burly dudes, these power lifters, bodybuilders, first responders, firefighters, all these guys that are like the epitome of like masculine men, seeing them take it seriously 
and change their their habits in the film really had a profound impact on the people that are watching and say, okay, if it's working for these guys, it's working for the military, it's working for, you know, snipers and all these badass dudes, then maybe it is something I can try as well. So that, it's been really fun to watch. And has, has all of the feedback been positive? Have you had any, any negative criticism or things come your way? Mm, I mean, always. Yeah. I mean, there's always people that are skeptics, you know, that's nothing new to me. It just amplified those skeptics a little bit. So, I mean, I get comments and messages every day saying that the film was complete propaganda and, you know, it's bias and all these, uh, all these things, but I don't really pay attention to that. And again, I'm not trying to convince anyone. I'm just showing what works for me and what I know, what I believe to be, you know, the best approach for for athletes. Well, I mean, you, you've you've never eaten meat. Let's. I mean, we we've done. We did yeah. uh, episode three, I think it was, in your car. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we just parked outside. Now we've upgraded. We're we're now at a table. <laughs> um, that was actually in the Golds Gym parking lot. Parking lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We did a good workout there again today. So I think, you know, in case any of the listeners have sort of just jumped onto this episode and haven't listened to the episode three or haven't found you on social media, which I imagine there's not many, but you've, you've never eaten meat. Maybe, maybe just walk, walk us through in a, in a relatively quick version of your story, why you didn't eat meat and, and, and what your diet was like growing up. Yeah, for sure. So I was raised as an ethical vegetarian. So um, both of my parents were... Catholic and then converted to Hinduism in the 80s. And one of the founding principles of Hinduism is that you basically try to live a life of nonviolence, and that includes the food that we eat. And from a very young age, I mean, my parents always taught me that, you know, in order for an animal to end up on my plate, it would have had to die and suffer. And we just don't want to contribute to additional suffering in the world. So I always had a good understanding of why, like, I chose not to eat meat, but it was also very difficult for me to explain to my peers. You know, I was young, living in the south of southern part of the United States where everyone hunts and fishes and barbecues. So it's like, it's a big part of their culture there. So I can't say that I wasn't challenged, but I was never tempted to to consume meat. And it was something that I just knew that I didn't need. And it just became a part of me. And I, I'm not saying that I deny that meat probably tastes good. I mean, I, I smell it. You know, I, I'm not saying that people, I don't believe everyone's lying that it tastes good. But for me, I just never wanted it. I never needed it. And it was something that took me a while to be proud of. I never talked about it until I was about 20, 24, being a vegetarian. Like nobody ever really knew why I was a vegetarian because I didn't want to get into those kind of debates because growing up, it was very challenging. Like, being surrounded by people who lived a normal lifestyle. And, you know, when we go to dinner and people would ask me why I'm eating a vegetarian plate or why I'm not eating meat or why I don't eat pepperoni pizza and all these other things. It was just like, I just didn't want to be the center of attention. And it wasn't until I got into health and fitness and and kind of discovered bodybuilding in a sense that I started looking more into the nutritional aspect of the food I was consuming and realized that at that time, the the animal products that I was consuming was just dairy, just whey protein, cottage cheese, Greek yogurt. Eggs? No eggs. No, eggs. no, no eggs. Um, eggs growing up or no eggs? No, no eggs growing so up. So pretty much it was like- Just it, dairy. It was, it was almost a vegan diet with dairy. And, and probably honey too, yeah. And some honey. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and growing up, you had good health. Yeah. Yeah, pretty good health. I mean, I never went to the doctor. I can count like probably on two hands how many times I've gone to the doctor before. I was always a healthy kid. I was small growing up, but I think I was just a late bloomer. Uh, it wasn't until like I, I started, I, I grew like after high school. So I was always like the small kid growing up, which I think has a lot to do with why 
I chose fitness and like really got into bodybuilding. School kids now that that see you and like, <laughs> is that the same name? Oh, dude, all the time, all the time, man. Every time I go back home and see see people I went to high school with, it's it's fun. Yeah. It's fun. Okay, so you you get into the you, you're introduced into the bodybuilding world. You start mm-hmm. dialing into your nutrition and and sort of where do things go from there? Yeah. So, you know, I, I was I was working as an engineer at the time and. I didn't have much. I just moved across the country to California and I didn't have any much friends. I was in this new environment. And the only thing that was familiar to me was the gym. So I just started hitting it really hard. And, um, and this is like I, when you're, this is, I was 20, 23, 24, yeah, okay. somewhere around there. Yeah. And again, once I started looking into like nutrition, uh, is when I saw the best results. So when I started modifying my nutrition and as luck would have it, I, I came across this video of, kind of the the inner workings of a dairy, the dairy farm. And at the time I was working in a gas plant where, you know, we, I, I was mechanical engineer. So we optimized processes, made things safer for uh, the employees in the environment. And I looked at it and it was, it looked very familiar to me. Like it was a lot of process machinery, a lot of valves, a lot of piping, all this stuff that I was used to seeing, but at, you know, it, it was connected to these, these living creatures. And I just felt such a like profound connection with that. And I realized that, you know, I was working hard for this company to, to you know, increase their profit margin and, and make the company work better. But at the same time, there was probably somebody that was working for these dairy farms that didn't really care about these animals. And they were just trying to produce more product at the expense of these, these, these living creatures. And I just I always had this kind of flexible way of looking at dairy. And I was like, oh, you know, they don't have to kill the cows to, to yeah, get yeah. the milk. And that's how I, you know, I grew up on a, on a cow farm. So I, I saw what it was like to have a, uh, a dairy farm that was, you know, the cows were treated with love and respect versus what was happening in these large factory farms. And I just couldn't unsee it. And I was like, I can't, I can't contribute to this. I don't want to pay for, to keep the lights on in this company because I don't support it and I don't believe it anymore. And I had no idea about the health implications of, of giving up dairy. For me, it was like, well, shit, this is my main, por- my main source of protein. Uh, you know, cause I was doing whey protein things like two a day or three a day. And then I was yeah. doing Greek yogurt and, and, and cottage cheese. Cause that's what I read on bodybuilding.com yeah. that, you know, yeah. Well, if you're a vegetarian bodybuilder, yeah. that's, that, yeah. they're your staples. Yeah. I didn't do eggs. So there was no eggs. So it was just those pretty much three or four easy ways to get protein. So I was like, okay, now that I'm, I'm not going to eat these, how can I get enough protein on a fully plant-based diet? For me, it wasn't that hard. You know, I, I swapped out my, my whey protein shakes with a plant-based alternative. At the time, there wasn't many like plant-based meats or anything like that. There was a few brands that were just starting off. I mean, I think Beyond Meat was just starting off at that time. And with the with the plant-based proteins back then, like they, they tasted good or were they a bit chalkier? Or? Um, they were all right. So that was they early. Were, I guess it's were, only like, it was like 2013, yeah, 14. Yeah, yeah. Um, probably a bit a bit before then when they were when they yeah they're much better now yeah yeah they're much better now but to be honest I, I started off on those things and then I I kind of went away from them and and went to a much more whole food plant based uh, diet so a lot of legumes tofu tempeh a lot of sweet potatoes a lot of grains things like that and what I found was that like my my results didn't decline at all that was actually like recovering a little bit faster my strength was going up so it was a bit counterintuitive from everything that I had read online. So I was like, okay, there is something to this that people this, need to know about. This was kind of in the lead up to one of your first competitions that you did. Yeah. 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 So that was, I, I went vegan right around the, when I started prepping for my very first show. 
and that was like nine nine weeks or so before my first contest. And I didn't tell anyone that I was going vegan. I mean, nobody cared, you know. So there would have been so, some doubters, though, if you had of if you had of said, "I'm gonna I'm gonna prep as a vegan." Yeah, back then. Yeah, I mean, I had a coach. I had a coach that helped me, but just with macros. And again, I kind of like took it with a grain of salt and just kind of like did my own thing. I was like, okay, he knows bodybuilding, but he what doesn't we, know vegan. What was he wanting you to hit? Sort of. Do you remember? Um, protein? Yeah, it was pretty high. It was like for me, it was like 225 grams of protein per day. What do you think you hit in that prep? I I hit, I hit 170. With maybe. Good, good results. Yeah. 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 So I, I kind of shifted a lot of those calories over to carbs, which is again, kind of counterintuitive to most bodybuilding strategies, just because a lot of guys go very, very low carbs all the way through their prep up until show day. And that was not my approach because I was eating tons of beans, tons of lentils and things like that, which is carbs are unavoidable. Yeah. So all of these guys now that are that are reaching out to you and and saying they're they're excited to to give a plant based lifestyle a go. What resources do you have for them? I know you've got some some online coaching and training. And how do you sort of help these people with that process? Yeah, I mean it depends. Like to be honest, I don't like I don't enjoy coaching people to do bodybuilding shows because I think that bodybuilding in itself is a pretty dangerous sport if you don't have, if you're not doing it for the right reasons. I've seen many people develop eating disorders or body dysmorphia issues with, you know, self-image and things like that, that they never really recover from. And it could lead them down a really destructive path. So I would say if you, if you are looking to, you know, do a bodybuilding show and, and just try to always do it the right way. And it's okay if it takes you longer, because at the end of the day, like your health is what should always be your number one priority. And these guys, guys and, and girls, you know, they sacrifice a lot of their health just to win a plastic trophy that doesn't, you know, doesn't really matter. But they, they feel the effects of that, that bodybuilding show for, for months or if not years afterwards. So I tend not to coach bodybuilders for, for contest preps. I prefer coaching people that are, you know, looking to increase their body composition, get in shape, but not down to like single digit body fat. You know, so uh, we have we have a program on my website, veganfitness.com, that we just do eight week coaching programs. So it's group coaching. Everybody starts the same day. Uh, and they can essentially turn up with really no prior knowledge about oh, yeah. base eating yeah. and, and start from scratch. About about 50 to 60 percent of our clients are not vegan to start with. They are going in, you know, cold turkey yeah. and just giving it a go. Cool. And it, it really is interesting because we've had thousands of people come through and everybody seems to have like the same common concerns and the same problems around Let's go through learning how to adapt to a plant-based diet. So number one is always <laughs> kind of surrendering to the process, right? Because I mean, these people have lived a certain way their entire life and you're asking them to, you know, give up their way of cooking where they normally eat uh, the this the food that, you know, they're used to waking up and eating and replacing it with something different, that there is a learning curve there. And this is what, you know, I always tell people, it just, it just takes time. You know, you don't expect to be super like an expert at it overnight, which is why, you know, we offer these services because people don't know how to cook tofu. Like people have never even tried to cook it. They, they just see it and there's like this big spongy, this white spongy block. And they're like, I don't know what to do with this. Or, or they never even had it before or even tempeh or, 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 you know, sprouts or things like that. So there is a bit of an adaptation process that people have a lot of problems with, but it, it just, it does get better over time. And one of the biggest things that people tend to complain about, like uh, digestive problems, is you know that, mm -hmm. you know, your, your gut flora might be a little bit, 
there, there is also an adaptation period there. So you, if you just start eating 100 grams of fiber overnight, you're, you're going to have some, that. you're going to feel it. You're going to be bloated. You're going to be gassy. You're going to have some and that's discomfort normal. there. You know, like that's, yeah. uh, that's not that the plant-based foods are not for you. Yeah. Perhaps you're just going a little too hard. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Because I, I mean, if you go from not eating any beans to eating a can of beans every day, they, you're going to be gassy yeah. for sure. For sure. If you've tuned in to the many episodes I've done focusing on cardiovascular disease, the leading cause of death globally, you'll be well aware that ApoB is a better biomarker for measuring our risk of having a heart attack or stroke than LDL cholesterol. The only problem is that not every pathology lab is set up to test ApoB levels. Fortunately, this has now been made easier by Inside Tracker, a leading health and wellness company founded in 2009 by experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data from Harvard, MIT, and Tufts that provides lifestyle advice based on your blood test results. With the new edition of ApoB, InsideTracker's ultimate plan now analyzes 44 biomarkers, including metabolic health markers like HbA1c, triglycerides, and blood glucose, important nutrients like vitamin D and iron, as well as hormones like cortisol, sex hormone binding globulin, free testosterone, and total testosterone before giving you science-backed lifestyle advice to optimize your health and longevity. Your data tells the story of your health. With Inside Tracker, get to know your story and create a lifestyle that delivers better health for longer. Get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. To get started and redeem this offer, go to insidetracker.com forward slash Simon. That's insidetracker.com forward slash Simon. Hey friends, the scientific evidence on lifestyle habits that lead to longevity is clear. Now it's time to put this knowledge into action. I'm excited to announce the Living Proof Longevity Challenge, a 12-week program to build evidence-based lifestyle habits to optimize longevity. My team and I have transformed over hundreds of hours of conversations with experts on aging, nutrition, and exercise into a life-changing 12-week program that will challenge you to develop habits that lead to a longer, better life. This is a unique opportunity to gather health data about yourself that has the potential to change your life for the better. You'll start by testing 10 longevity biomarkers that tell the truth about where your longevity stands right now, today. Following that, you'll get a personalized longevity score to guide your 12 weeks of habit building that will boost your score and improve your biomarkers for the better. After the challenge, you'll retest your 10 biomarkers and see the proof of how powerful these science-backed habits really are. Head over to theproof.com forward slash livingproof to download your zero-cost copy of the Living Proof Longevity Challenge today. That's theproof.com forward slash livingproof. Look forward to joining you on this journey. Okay, so how do you help people navigate this? We do it in steps. So basically, we, we provide them with a meal plan that's designed to their, you know, whatever their fitness goal. And it's just all about constant feedback uh, from our clients because what works for one client doesn't always work for another. Uh, some people are more receptive to higher protein diets or lower protein diets or, or vice versa with carbs or, or even fats. So it's, it's constant communication with our clients. And I think that's what people tend to get, get wrong is think that 
they think that there's this one size fits mm-hmm. all for macro ratios or certain recipes or, you know, just because it works for me doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for somebody else. So true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been writing in my, my book now, I'm sort of nearly finished, but I'm at a section where I'm writing about macronutrients and I kind of am, am going to, or I t- intend to include some of the guideline recommendations from the, the dietary guidelines for mm-hmm. various macronutrients. But I do make it clear that it's, it doesn't have to be the same for everyone. And if you focus on the food and the food groups, a lot of the time, the macronutrients will fall into place as mm-hmm. well. So what else? So people come into the program, you, you, you want people to, to sort of fully commit to this, this new lifestyle. What are some of the other common questions or, or fears that they may have? Definitely protein. <laughs> protein is the number one uh, question. So you got to hit that one early. Is that, yeah. is that like a day one, day two? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, I, we tend to always be, we're always answering questions about protein, <laughs> you know? And it, it's funny because most people don't understand like how much protein, you know, somebody actually needs and the requirements from like male to female, what your goals are. I mean, there, there's a lot of variables there. We always tend to calculate protein first and just make sure we always hit that number based off of the individual and then kind of adjust everything else mm. from that. So there is no real need to be concerned with with protein, at least on our programs, because we make sure to hit that number for them. So what's that um, that sort of number land at from a grams per kilo or pound? Well, it depends. It depends. If, if they're cutting, we tend to make it a little bit higher. So normally the, the range is like 1.8 to 2.2. Yeah. So if they're cutting and they're in a big deficit, then we tend to go a little bit higher from that, uh, like more like the, the two. Yeah, to two. preserve some yeah. muscle mass. Yeah, just to, just to preserve a little bit of their muscle mass while they're in that deficit and they don't, you know, catabolize any of their hard-earned gains in that period, which is like, I always tell people like losing weight or getting in shape while maintaining your muscle mass is like landing a plane. You know, you you have your your runway from a certain distance and you see it and you want to come in in like a smooth approach, like nice and slow. But if you just, you know, waited to the last second and just crashed down, it's going to be a bumpy ride and it may not be the most efficient way of, of losing weight. So we always try to manage that first. And again, set expectations. I think many people... We expect to see results overnight and, and setting realistic expectations is one of the hardest things to do because with, you know, the amount of marketing out there and the amount of supplements that are being marketed to people, fat loss pills and, and fat quick, burners, quick yeah, the quick fix, they just, they're a nightmare for people like us where we just try to teach people the fundamentals of how to be healthy and how to lose weight in a sustainable manner. Yeah. I mean, the irony is if you do it in a slower way, you're more likely not to put Extra way back, weight back on, back on, yeah. Afterwards, and you gain a lot of knowledge mm-hmm. that is very empowering mm-hmm. when you when you are not relying on the quick fix and you work through that process of truly changing your body composition. You get to a point where you you don't need to think about any sort of quick fix because you're in control now. Mm-hmm. So when you when someone is sort of cutting in and you're at that sort of two point two grams per kilo. To get to there, are you sort of dialing up the the tofu and the tempeh and, and maybe a protein shake and dialing down rice and other carbohydrate-rich foods? Yeah, I mean, all of our all of our recipes are, are kind of centered around like some type of high-protein legume or, or something like that. So we do, we do uh, recommend tofu, tempeh. Some people aren't as comfortable eating soy. So there are other alternatives like seitan. 
We do edamame. We do a lot of sprouted, sprouted beans and things like that too. Those are also very high. Those are kind of like little hacks that you learn along the way just to kind of spike your protein, you know, here and there on, on certain meals. So like a sprouted mung bean or something. Yeah. 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 Or sprouted peas or something like that. Yeah. There's like very high in protein per based off weight. Yeah. You know, so yeah. And then, and, and then realistically, it's, it, we don't change much. You know, people think that you have to drastically change your, your approach whenever you're trying to lose weight. It's, it's more about just managing your portion sizes and, and really hitting your, your calorie targets. It's, it's not that difficult. I mean, even if you didn't necessarily focus so much on, on counting macros and you just focused on hitting enough calories or getting, you know, whatever that target is, you'll still see results. You'll still see almost, 90% of the results so that you the, would the, see. The dialing up of that protein as you're coming down in calories is more just like that fine tuning. Exactly. To, to preserve them. Exactly. Mass. Exactly. And even like nutrient timing, a lot of people have questions about nutrient timing. So, you know, what to eat after the gym or what to eat first thing in the morning and, you know, talking about like metabolic flexibility and things like that. I mean, those things should be a concern if you're like a high functioning high-performing athlete where your livelihood depends on like being a quarter of a second faster than the next guy. But for your average individual, like I would just look at your day within a 24-hour period. Whether you like to do intermittent fasting, that's fine if you can fit into your schedule or whether you like to eat every two to three hours, that's also fine. Whether you want to, you know, get 20 grams of protein every single meal or get 50 grams of protein in two meals. You know what I mean? I, I don't think that the details matter as much as people think. It's just about finding what works best for you and then making sure that you follow that that program because what good is a program if you don't follow it or it, right. you know if it's too difficult or too overwhelming or too many factors and variables to think of it can be overwhelming for people and they just give up yeah. and they go back to what they were doing adherence is key if you don't have adherence you make it too complicated yeah. and you you won't get the results you're after yeah yeah, exactly. And that's that plays out in all of the science around weight loss when they look at various diets and compare different diets, low fat, high fat. When when calories are matched in, in all these different diets out there, there is no difference. And what the difference comes down to is how well could someone adhere to their diet? Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it's the, it's the common theme, mm -hmm. setting something up that works for you. Yeah. And the thing is sustainability, right? Is, is there's you know, if you do a program that's, you know, four or eight weeks long or something like that, and then after the eight weeks, you just abandon ship and just go back to whatever you were doing, then it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't make sense. You know, you want something that you can just implement these small everyday changes that become a part of your lifestyle. And it doesn't feel like you're dieting or you're, you're sticking to a program. It, it is just the way you live. And, you know, for, for someone like me, I used to be you know, so caught up in, in measuring everything and weighing out my food and making sure I hit X amount of protein per day, uh, based off of, you know, whatever my goal was. And nowadays I just eat, you know, I eat intuitively and I go to the gym. I just like my non-negotiables are that I eat healthy. Um, I drink a lot of water. I go to the gym every day or do some type of movement every single day. And then I try to get good sleep. And like those four things, make a huge difference. You know, if you can just really focus on the basics, that normally produces the most results. You know, if, if you're lacking in one of those areas, if you're not moving, if you're not staying hydrated, if you're not getting rest or if you're eating like shit, then you'll, you can easily see where the problem lies and, and, and need to address it. There's also an argument there when you're not so worried about the perfection and every, you know, 1% of the, the diet, 
it allows you as well just to live mm-hmm. and, and enjoy other aspects of your life and not just, you know, I like to talk about nutrition on this podcast, but there is obviously a lot more to life than, yeah. than, than, the just, <laughs> than just food. Yeah. I think understanding calorie density and what calories are in food and different macronutrients, I think it's a really important skill to have. But I like that you also talk to the point of being able to eat intuitively. But being able to eat intuitively, I think, is made easier once you have that understanding of what's mm-hmm. in your food. Yeah, for sure. And that's, that, that is something that I see the benefit of, like initially looking into how many calories or or specific macronutrients are in certain types of food. That way you have an idea because most people see, you know, a portion of beans and have no idea what's in it. Uh, they just see beans. But if you actually track your food for, just don't change anything. Just don't change anything. If you're listening to this, like download one of those apps like MyFitnessPal or Chronometer or um, any other thing that you're able to input your food. Just see what you're eating on a daily basis and just kind of like, you know, track that for a week and see what your average you know, numbers are, you know, see how much protein you're actually getting per day, even if you eat meat or, you, you know, if you don't, I think you'd be surprised at, at, at your numbers, you know, maybe you're eating way too much, or maybe you're eating way too little. And you're wondering why you're not gaining weight, or you're wondering why you're not losing weight is because you're not eating the, the proper amounts of food. And like I said, you don't have to get too caught up on the numbers like protein and carbs and fats and macros and stuff like that. Just look at more of the calories. And then once you start inputting your food, like, okay, I went to this restaurant and you know, it doesn't have to be perfect. I had like, you know, this meal that had this and that and just kind of like estimate how much was in it. Then you're like, okay, this, now I understand how many calories are in this one meal. So it'll give you an idea of how to intuitively eat from then on. Yeah. You can start to eyeball it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's actually an exercise I give people to, to, to use one of those apps like Chronometer or whatnot. And particularly if someone is like, oh, skeptical about say protein or you know, some sort of mineral or whatnot. Put your food in that you eat in a day into chronometer, and you'll you'll be blown away. If you're eating a a, a balanced, diversified, plant based diet, you'll see your amino acids through the roof. Yeah, and all of your your vitamins and minerals. Of course, you need to supplement B12, but you know you'll 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 get a really good indication as to whether there is something that you need to add to your diet exactly but for most people they'll look at it and be like well i didn't realize i was getting so much nutrition exactly exactly definitely a worthwhile exercise mm-hmm. so back to game changers yeah documentary came out it's like a, the best most viewed documentary ever or something i don't know i, I don't think, think netflix shares those numbers but i do well i've seen I, i've I, seen news headlines and news headlines never lie right <laughs> <laughs> true. So, true. Okay. Either uh, way, a lot of people are watching it. I just repeated something out of a news headline like it was fact, but um, don't shoot me for that. <laughs> um, but anyway, it's been a it's been a success in terms of the number of people around the world that have that watched it and opened up you know plenty of opportunities for yourself and everyone else involved in the film, and probably just in general for the plant based community. Yeah, you were. You recently did some some Q and A's at Harvard Uni. Yeah. So yeah. talk me through that. Like how 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 did that sort of come about, and and what was that experience like? Yeah. Well, I mean, I th- I think that many many organizations are reaching out to the game changers to come and speak to their you know their organization about the benefits of plant based eating because I, I think many companies are are seeing the benefits from a productivity standpoint. They're seeing it from a cost saving standpoint. And it to their credit, I mean, 
people like even Harvard. I mean, that's a huge, it's one of the most, you know, respected, yeah, respected yeah. universities in, in, in the States. And right, to have in the them world. invite us, yeah, to have them invite us to come speak on this was, was really groundbreaking. And I think that this was the biggest event that they had hosted at the law school and the business school. So these guys um, sort of watched the movie or, or clips of the, the movie. Yeah. And then had an opportunity to ask us some questions about the film. And, and it was interesting because the, the types of questions that they asked were, were different than most, uh, different than most panels that we've done before, especially the law students. The law students were really kind of dialed in in regards to what changes needed to happen after the film, like how to capitalize on, on, um, you know, the momentum from like a film. government policy. Point yeah. Of view or, yeah. So okay. they actually have a, they have a few programs at Harvard. Uh, one of them is called like animal law, like animal law and policy. I don't know. I may be saying that incorrectly. I don't remember the exact name, but it's in that area. Yeah. But it's in that area. So they are constantly looking at, uh, different areas and different, different industries to, to change the, the, the policies around animal welfare whether that is in factory farms or yeah, it, it's, it's, it, I didn't know it existed. Like set it up by vegans or? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So one of the alumni was the founding, like the founder of this, of this program. And apparently there's been a huge surge of interest in the university and the law students itself to come to, to join the program, to, to do some work. It's awesome. Yeah. Overall, the, the questions were they mainly um, animal welfare focused or were there questions around health and um, were there sort of specific, any skeptical type of questions from the, the law students? Yeah, there was a few skeptical questions, just mainly, let me think of one, uh, one, one person in, in particular just questioned the sensationalism of these diets and different approaches that's been, you know, occurring for the past, you know, few decades of like something will come out and then eventually it'll fade away and it'll be forgotten about. But I think that this film is just kind of a catalyst for getting people to become aware of the food that they're consuming and the, the way it's having an impact on our own health, but also the health of our planet as well. So I think that that in itself speaks to a lot of people. Because now we're no longer talking about exclusively, we're not exclusively talking about animal welfare. We're talking about, you know, the health of the planet and like things like, you know, the Australian fires. And now it's becoming a lot more prevalent. You know, I think it, I just saw something that was like, it was, it was the hottest day ever in Antarctica or, or yeah. the North Pole. Yeah, or I, I saw, can't remember. I that, yeah. Yeah. So I think it's becoming more and more a topic of conversation. And if we can, again, do the, the small changes that add up to be the biggest differences or the things that we need to focus on. I posted something yesterday, or a couple of days ago. It was a, a graph comparing the greenhouse gas emissions from different protein sources. Mm. Actually, put the one I posted didn't have the full the breakdown of the life cycle, but I'm going to post that as well. And it's crazy when you look at the differences between even the most sustainable of meats with the plant-based protein sources, the the differences in, in greenhouse gas emissions are huge. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of undeniable. And there's a there's a great, a really, really big report. This is an area that I'm really interested in because obviously you've seen there are a number of people using the sort of grass-fed, even Regen Ag as a, as a sort of word that's been hijacked almost. Yeah. I feel like it's been hijacked. I feel like it hasn't been properly defined. Like I can put my hand up and say, hey, I don't know 100% the ins and outs of it, but I don't think anyone does. And I feel like the term 
has been hijacked. There's no peer-reviewed studies on it. Mm-hmm. And it's being used as a way of saying, okay, feedlots are bad, but it doesn't matter. We've got another solution which is better than plant-based. It's, the, it's, it's, it's going to save the world. It's the climate solution, which seems really far-fetched to me. And I'm happy to be proven wrong, but there is no studies, um, peer-reviewed studies. There's a, a very, very big report out from the, the Oxford University, which was done last year. And they reviewed everything because there's some YouTube videos and whatnot on this type of farming talking about carbon sequestration and using the animals to pull carbon back in mm-hmm. to the soil. These are YouTube videos. So. And, and the, the, the Oxford report, it talks to this. It talks to the, point, the fact that all of these theories, which is what they say, have people have not been able to replicate them. And when they've tried to do these practices, they, the, the numbers and the data and the amount of carbon that they're saying is being sequestered is not. So that's, that's, that is an interesting space for me, definitely, mm-hmm. to watch play out over the next few years, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you seen people talking about that? Uh, yeah, here and there. I, again, I don't know enough about it to speak on it. Um, but it does seem to become, it's becoming a new buzzword yeah. that I see being thrown around quite a bit now um, as, a, as a viable solution moving forward. But again, I guess until the data shows otherwise, then it's just a theory. Yeah, exactly. And, and one of the things that I kind of want to work out is, I mean, I believe that there are, one, one of the central tenets of this regenerative ag, we're digressing here, we'll, I'll pull it back to game changers in a second, <laughs> but... One of the, the central tenets is that you use the animal manure to create really good soil, which can then grow plants, right? Mm-hmm. But there are other methods. There are various farmers talking about being able to, to use worms to produce similar soil quality. And then there are farms using cattle that are not commodities. They're not slaughtered. Yeah. They're just living on the land. So there are, there's a lot of different ways to look at this. My issue is that it, it, it just seems to, to be this sort of this method of farming being pushed by carnivores to justify very meat-heavy diets. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's challenging. I think well, we talked about this earlier. Is like the, the more you dig into something, the more you realize how imperfect everything is. And even, even if you look at like organic farming, and most of the manure that organic farms use comes from factory farm mm. animals. So... There's a lot of room for improvement in our current systems. And I, I don't know if these other regenerative farming techniques are going to be able to, to be scaled in such a way that it's going to make it any significant impact right away. Yeah. So, that like, makes sense. so yeah, if you're removing the factory farmed feedlots, yeah. are the regenerative agriculture solutions going to be able to meet that demand for the, for the current demand of meat? I mm-hmm. mean, we were speaking before. Exactly. I don't think so, which would mean the price of meat would go up because there'd be less meat, mm-hmm. which would be a good thing anyway. Yeah, for, for some people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for us. <laughs> okay, but back, back to, to game changers. Yeah. The sort of publicity after, afterwards was very much mostly positive. There was this big James Wilkes, Joe Rogan mm. interview. Did you, did you watch that? Yeah, of course. I watched every... Did you find that interesting? I did. I did. I think for, the, for your average person... It may have been a little too scientific for 
just your regular person. But for, for people like us that really enjoy that type of conversation, it was nice to see. And it was nice to see somebody really defend plant-based eating through and through and not back down. I know James can be a pretty intimidating guy, but I, th- I think he did pretty well on, on the podcast. I think he, I think he crushed it and it, it was good to see. And it was, it was, it, it's really interesting to see like the Joe Rogan's perspective on it as well, because like we were talking about earlier, he has so much influence on people and especially young men that if he rejects plant-based eating, then a lot of other men will, will reject it. So even just to have that one little step forward where he acknowledges that it can be done and, you know, it is a viable lifestyle, then I think that was a huge step. It was a huge breakthrough in my opinion. Yeah. And I mean, Joe is very much, he, he's a truth seeker. You know, he, that's what I like about him. He will have people on from all different backgrounds. He just wants to understand the truth, but he also, he wants to experiment. He wants to learn. He's, he's doing the carnivore diet now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no one knows how that's going to play out long term, but he definitely is open to, to speaking with people from a diverse, you know, range of backgrounds who he may or may not necessarily agree with. I mm-hmm. think, I think that, that whole, debate and getting James on was was amazing because you're right. He came on armed with the facts. Yeah. And he was able to really, really defend the points made in the movie that Cressa had tried to to sort of debunk. Yeah. So Yeah. Uh, I still don't I still don't think it was that fair because I mean Chris had a whole episode to say what he had to say. And then James only went on to defend the points that Chris talked about. So it would be nice to have somebody like James or whoever they decide to throw up on the show to talk about it a little bit in more detail without having to just combat someone because I think it would be a much easier listen for for an audience that, again, even if you're not like trying to get, like just be open to the idea. I think that's the biggest part of this conversation is that let's throw away this notion that it can't be done or it's unhealthy. Like, yes, it does take some planning. That does take, that's like anything though. If you want to live healthy, you, you, you're going to have to do some planning. You're going to have to do some sacrifice and find what works for you. And plant-based eating is no different. You're going to have to make some changes and that can be difficult for a lot of people. But once you adapt and once you understand how to do it on a daily basis, it becomes effortless and it becomes just second, like part of your lifestyle. Uh, and I think that's what most people misunderstand is that they think it's this monumental task, but really it's just eliminating some food and introducing more food. That's still food. <laughs> it's just food. It's food. You can cook it the same way. You can flavor it similarly. You know, you don't even have to give up your favorite meals nowadays with the alternatives they have out there. And not, I'm not saying those alternatives are the best, the healthiest option. But if you weren't eating healthy in the be- to begin with, then just what's the difference of just replacing them like for like? It's a step in the right it's direction. Easier and easier. Yeah. 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 Something that's not easy for me is uh, avoiding air one. Is that how you say it? Air one? Air one. I believe so. Yeah. Air one, yeah. Air one. Yeah. Jeez, it's hard for me to, to avoid that. <laughs> Trust me, me too. <laughs> I got some seriously good food there. I know, man. Okay, so uh, let's. I'd like to explore your training a little yeah. bit more and your philosophy. So, so training these days. I mean, you're not you're not prepping for a, a comp. You're you're clearly maintaining your <laughs> physique very well what is a you, you're getting in and doing some sort of movement every day yeah. what is what does your structure look like for you now and then maybe we'll, we can talk more specifically to someone who perhaps is not as experienced in training yeah for sure uh i train every day i, I train 
six, seven days a week. Some weeks I'll take a, a day off, but I, I really do love training. And I found a really healthy balance of going to the gym, doing some type of movement, whether that's resistance training or cardio or, or stretching or yoga or something that forces me to sweat and move my body for the last couple of years now. And it, it almost boils down to that consistency of just making it a non-negotiable. I think I, even with our clients, we have so many people that are like, oh, I just don't have enough time in the day. It's like, you do have enough time. You just have to make it a priority. And once you prioritize your health, then everything kind of falls into place. And it does become a lot easier to go to the gym and find the motivation to, to push yourself. So obviously with a bodybuilding background, there was different motivational factors there. So, you know, when I was in the gym, I was training for bodybuilding shows. I had this you know, thought in the back of my mind that I was going to have to step on stage and be compared to other very hardworking guys. And again, being measured against them. So that will make anyone work a lot harder in the gym. But now that I'm not competitively uh, doing bodybuilding, I'm just going into the gym and finding new ways to challenge myself. I still do kind of like the typical, you know, bro split where I'll do like chest one day and then back another day, then legs and arms, then like a full body workout. That's normally what works best for me. And I, I still always do more hypertrophy training. So for me, I never really cared about being the strongest guy or, you know, testing my one rep max or anything like that. I just, I just want to lift weight, feel strong when I'm doing it, but not, again, not be compared to anyone. So what's your, your sort of optimal rep range that you'd be? For me, it's always eight to 12. Yeah. Eight to 12. Yeah. So the, the, the and you're the not way in there I, with your diary writing down your weights. No. You're, you're just sort of logging roughly in your head where you're at. Yeah. I, I think that it's, it is good to, to keep a training diary. That way you do have some kind of measuring stick to see what you were doing a couple of weeks ago and what you're doing now. Cause it, you, it's really easy to get complacent in the gym and to go in there and do the same, you know, a few exercises and not really ever pushing yourself harder. This is why I always suggest working out with a training partner too. Cause if you do work out with a training partner, it does add an extra sense of accountability to push yourself a little bit harder. And I think if you just enter the gym with that mentality, there's a few different things that I always try to do when I go to the gym is, is I always try to be the hard, the most hardworking person in the room. So I'll, I'll always look around and be like, okay, if I see anyone working harder than me, I have to at least match them and work just as hard. That's why I love working out at Gold's Gym is because that bar is set really mm. high. There's always a bunch of really, you know, incredible- What's that guy's name that we saw today? Do you know his name? Oh, uh, I don't know his name, but he is a monster. He, he is um, seven foot tall and just a specimen. And he can do the, the muscle ops and... Yeah. 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 I mean, so seeing, he's, he's so seeing guys like that, so seeing stuff like that, I know it can be intimidating for a lot of people to go to gyms and see big guys that are, or females that are in shape and it can be intimidating for some, but I, I think that it's important to kind of shift your perspective and look at it as a motivational factor to be like, wow, that person has really got it dialed in. They've been working really hard. They've been putting in a lot of effort. Like I want, that's something I aspire to be like, or, um, I would like to, eventually become that hardworking and, and get to that level eventually. So seeing those things for me always motivates me. And then again, just, just taking it one, one workout at a time, you know, not looking at it as a mountain of work that you're going to have to do, just taking it one day at a time, one workout at a time, one rep at a time. And if you can master just one repetition and, you know, master the form, master the way you breathe, the way you engage your muscles, then I think everything else falls into place from one one rep becomes one set one set becomes one you know one one workout for the day and then it ends up being a week so it's like just starting off very small has always been my approach 
So just really developing those mind-muscle connections with each exercise that you're doing and really thinking about the intention of each movement. Because most people just, they've never been taught how to train. They just see people doing certain moves and certain exercises and they imitate it and never really think about what the intention is mm -hmm. of this movement. And activating them. And how to activate the muscle yeah. properly. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a huge difference in terms of you know, correct form on certain exercises and incorrect form. And as soon as you, you structure something up and do it correctly, you often find you have to lower the weight significantly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just check your ego at the door. Like yeah. I always tell people, just like leave your ego at, at the door before you walk in. Like you don't have to lift, you know, 500 pounds to have an effective workout. Like mm -hmm. You look at guys like Kai Green, who's like one of the guys that I looked up to whenever I was first starting off my my bodybuilding career. He went plant-based for a day, didn't he? Yeah, we'll talk about that another time. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but his philosophy on training was always very interesting to me because he would always use very light weight, but he was just like this huge dude. And uh, I always found that like admirable because he would always focus on the, the efficiency of each movement and really understanding how to engage as many muscle or recruit as many muscle fibers as possible in your targeted muscle group. And if you can just focus on those, those, those foundational things, then I think the results come, they come in tenfold. You know, they come much quicker if you focus on those things as opposed to just thinking, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to lift this weight from A to B without any intention of form or really engaging the, the correct muscle groups because you can lift weight. I mean, but at the end of the day, you're just throwing around weight. You're not like, Weightlifting. Most of these bodybuilders doing a, a similar split like you just described, or I guess what's the advantage over that versus, say, someone who does legs, push, like pull, push, pull legs. And, 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 you know, maybe perhaps their argument is I'm trying to maximize volume over the week. Like, what, mm -hmm. what's the difference between these two perspectives on training? It, it's preference. I think that, you know, push pull legs is a really good approach for, for lifting because it doesn't allow you to train certain muscle groups more frequently through, and have a, uh, a higher training volume by the end of the week. For me, I always try to go from like, I don't know, somewhere around the 20 set range for each muscle group per, per week. So, yeah, so even around, though you're training once per week, sort of, you're doing a, yeah. a, a bigger session? Yeah. Yeah. So I do it all in one session as opposed to like three sessions yeah. per week, if that makes sense. And that's just me. That's what always worked best for me. And because I can really focus on engaging whatever muscle it is that I'm working and, and really focusing on that, I can have better workouts. I know some guys like to do push-pull legs or upper-lower splits. I say try, try them all. See what works best for you and just... Again, keep a keep a workout diary and, and see if your strength goes up or and how your any measurable is. difference. Yeah. 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 So that's your training. We've yeah. touched on your your nutrition. Yeah. And your philosophy there in terms of you know, mainly intuitively eating. Do you ever track anymore? No. No. No, no. They're not the odd day throw things. No, in. I mean, here's the thing is that like again, just like I'm a creature of habit. So the first thing I'll do when I wake up go to air one. No, no, I'd be broke. <laughs> it, it, it's just do like a, like a smoothie or sometimes I'll train fasted because I work out early nowadays. And as soon as I get home, I'll do a smoothie with like a scoop of protein in there. And I'll, I'll throw in like, sometimes I'll do oatmeal and a lot of fruit and um, like maca powder, ashwagandha, stuff like that. And then, you know, if I have two shakes a day, that's, I know I'm getting like 50 grams of protein there. And then the rest of my day, I just kind of, I make sure to eat beans. I make sure to eat lentils. I have tofu in my salads and As long as you burritos. eat enough food. You're, yeah. You're yeah. So, yeah. So just by, by virtue of incorporating those foods into like every meal, I know I'm going to get mm. 150 grams that's of exactly protein a day. 
Yeah. You know, it's pretty easy. I don't even think about it. I don't think about it anymore at all. I know you you uh you post a bit about the rent being due. Yeah. Talk talk me through <laughs> cardio and how you work cardio into your sort of uh, workout regime and what you use it for. Yeah, for me it's just it's it's my way of staying like eating what I want and just like kind of always having something to fall back on that I know I'm going to burn some calories off. So people always ask me what my cardio regimen is because I post about it quite a bit and I always say the rent is due. And that comes from one of my favorite quotes of all time. It goes, success is never owned. It's merely rented and the rent is due every single day. So that's kind of like what I keep in mind is just like anything, like if you want to be successful at it, you got to pay your dues and you have to work on it every single day. And, and staying in shape is is one of those things that's always fleeting. You know, the moment you, <laughs> when you leave the gym, your body's eating itself, you're, sh- you're shrinking again. You know what I mean? So it's like constantly having to uh, put in that, that effort every day. So for me, doing some type of cardio, whether that's like Stairmaster, that's just easiest for me is because I can get a lot of work done on my phone whenever I'm on the Stairmaster, as opposed to if, if I was running on a treadmill, I wouldn't be able to have my phone in front of me and so answer that's emails. What, that's the Stairmaster trick. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. it's almost like an office. It is my office. It is. <laughs> I, I do all my emails from when I do cardio and then I'll do phone calls. With, you know, Dr. Uh, Greg does that. On a yeah, yeah, he does on the walking treadmill, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So me and him are a lot alike in that yeah. sense. <laughs> but yeah, for me, it's just finding something that you enjoy doing. For me, it's it's time effective. It, it's it saves a lot of time for me to do that. And other than that, I do like I longboard uh, quite a bit. Like I try to catch the sunset every day here in, in Southern California because it's always that so beautiful. Name Marina. Yeah, yeah. I'll just longboard up and down the the sidewalk or the boardwalk. Um, yeah. just because that's why that's my way of kind of you know, just getting outside and, and just relieving some stress and just vitamin D. Yeah. Yeah. Just listen to some music and cruising, man. It's, it's a, that's, it's a good little California routine. Life yeah. Yeah. It's a good little routine. <laughs> I do believe that getting in nature is, is one of the biggest ways of, uh, you know, managing your stress Absolutely. as well, you know, getting your eyes and, you know, seeing the sunset, seeing the sunrise. Those are two huge factors that I've been trying to incorporate more into my life the last, the last year or so. So just waking up before the sun comes up, doing a morning practice of meditating, I'll light some incense, you know, just get the the vibe, just really calm and relax. I'll, I'll meditate and then I'll do some some stretching, some yoga, and I'll do some reading in the morning. Just you got to write a book, man. This is this is a a different take on a on a body on a stereotypical <laughs> body book. <laughs> well, I mean, I, it just works, you know. I, I think that again, it, it's not it's not some secret formula. I, I think it, it just really is what works best for me and allows me to operate in my my highest you know, can my highest peak conditioning, like mm-hmm. mentally and physically and spiritually, like these are the, these are my non-negotiables that I won't great sacrifice is, on. The great thing is most of those things you're talking about, whether it's moving your body or getting outside in nature or good sleep, the, most of these things don't, don't cost any money. No. You know, these, no. these are either free or relatively inexpensive ways to, to set up the foundations of your health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, it's not it's not like a crate. You don't have to go to a gym to be in shape or to be healthy or to to look you don't have to exclusively look at fitness as something that you have to do inside of a gym. There's so many other ways you can be active and live a healthy lifestyle and and you can find a tree and do pull-ups on, you can do just body weight movement, you can do workouts in your house, you know, you go can for a swim. you can go for a swim, you can surf, you can bike, you can do all these other things. It doesn't have to be, you know, bodybuilding. Bodybuilding is just my my preferred way of, of fitness for now. For now, but I think eventually um, I've seen I, you try a bit of surfing. I, I I was surfing in in Hawaii like recently, and I was 
terrified by because <laughs> we went to this uh we were in Kauai and and the waves in Kauai they had a huge swell come through and they were like 15 foot waves and i was terrified mm. of these waves that's uh, where alana blanchard lives you know her? She, i don't know she's her. a surfer she's a professional surfer she's she's actually vegan herself okay and her partner jack he's he's an australian pro surfer mm. yeah so they live in Kauai. Yeah, it's a beautiful place. But it's, I mean, the fact that they live there, it's some proper surf. Yeah, it is some proper <laughs> surf. And we we actually, uh, we were surfing in the same area where, because um, Bethany Hamilton got her, so that's her that, arm bit off. Yeah. She was, so Alana was there that day. So there's a movie about this. Yes, yeah, Soul, Surfer. Soul Surfer. Yeah. I had Alana on the show. So Alana, Alana's dad, and I think Alana's brother. I may have got that wrong, but I think it was Alana's brother was surfing with Bethany that day. Yeah. So they were the ones that sort of rescued her and brought her in. Crazy. Yeah, that's intense, man. That's a that's a there's a documentary as well on on Bethany that she's done. I, I recommend anyone listening to check that out. Yeah, she's a big girl. I met her. We met her whenever we were in yeah. uh, in Kauai, and she was uh, taller than I expected. She's a yeah, and she's back out surfing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Fearless. I think she went straight back out. Like uh, as soon as she was released from hospital, as soon as she could, essentially, she was back, you know, surfing. Yeah, I mean, when you love what you do, like nothing's going to stop you from doing it. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, Kauai was, Kauai was something else. It's a magical place. If you haven't visited, you're going to find a reason to go to Kauai. It's yeah. something uh, about, something in the air down there. It's um kind of reminds me of Jurassic Park. That's where they filmed. That's where they, they filmed Jurassic Park. Yeah, it's, it's so. I mean, that makes sense. It's like that dark, luscious green. Mm-hmm. You know, sort of. Yeah, apparently it's one of the wettest places on Earth too. Yeah, something to do with the mountains and the way the pressure systems work there. Yeah. It's uh, considered the wettest person. What one of the wettest places on Earth? Yeah, which area were you in? Do you know? Uh, we were on the North Shore. Okay, is that um? <laughs> so like Hanalei Bay. Hanalei Bay. Yeah, yeah, I've been there. Yeah, 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 yeah it's, beautiful spot. It's unbelievable. Yeah, there. very beautiful spot. I'd like to move there one day. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've got a lot of friends that are moving there now. They're making, yeah. they're migrating out there, and yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think the property is that cheap. But no, no, no. no. I've heard but it. The I've f- heard it's the opposite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the food is amazing too. The fruit yeah. and uh, the produce that you can get mm. there, the farmers markets and everything. The avocados are the size of my head. Like they're just so buttery, and the, the seed is like yeah, tiny. Yeah, yeah. no, they're doing it well there. Yeah, yeah. The locals probably don't want too many people talking about it. Yeah, we'll <laughs> so all move over there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, last time I was here, you were living in. Long Beach, right? Yeah. Because do you remember we had dinner and that restaurant? Where, 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 where? Oh, at Seabirds. Seabirds. I went to Buddy. Yeah, you went to Orange County. I went to Seabirds. Seabirds Orange. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I got into an Uber and I just put Seabirds in and just sort of let this start talking to the driver. Yeah. We were talking about Donald Trump. And yeah, it must have, how, how far do you think I went? You went a good 45 minutes past where we were yeah so then i got to the restaurant and i sat down and i was like wow i think uh Neymar and bianca have stood me up here <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah we quickly worked it out yeah and you guys waited for me so that was good yeah oh cool before we wrap this up the i i heard that you've you've been training or working with lewis hamilton yeah what's that been like yeah it's been an experience it's it's training with him has taught me a lot about what it means to be an athlete and operate on a certain level. It's really quite inspiring to see somebody so in tune with their body. And it's almost like like having like these God-given abilities to perceive things and the attention to detail that is clearly 
propelled him to where he is right now. So just to kind of be a part of that and help him, you know, kind of optimize his diet and incorporate different training techniques that would be conducive for his sport. It's been a really fun learning experience, but hopefully I think he's primed to have his best season yet. And he, he's been crushing it on everything he's doing. So yeah, it's been a fun ride. I, I, I think that again, like the, the beautiful part about working with someone like him is that he is the best at what he does. And there is no one that can even hold a candle to him. And it has always been kind of my mission is to just spread this message and working with people like him just really amplifies that message that I could never do by myself. So for him to go on and have a successful year is, is just, it does loads for um, just educating people on the benefits of a plant-based diet. And many people miss misunderstand that like, they don't think that these, these F1 drivers are athletes, but these guys are, these guys are like top level athletes, you know, even though they're sitting in a car, like they experience some serious G forces uh, when they're going through these turns and they have to be, they got to be strong. Their core stability, their core and stability, stability, like yeah. you were talking about before. Is yeah, exactly. They can, they can get a few G's on each corner and you know, you have a helmet on and you have to keep your head upright. Mm. Uh, and you're sitting in like a pretty awkward little position, right? Yeah. Yeah. I haven't had a chance to see the car yet, but yeah, those guys are athletes, man. Those guys are athletes. And apparently he's kind of making waves within the, within the F1 community too, that other drivers kind of like imitate what he does. So they see it working for him. Then they're, they're kind of leaning more towards, you know, eating more plant-based at least like during the season or during races and stuff like yeah, that. That's so cool. yeah. Yeah. And hopefully that transcends like across all sports, you know, like that people like Serena, Serena Williams, that she, she's plant-based uh, at least for whenever she trains. I don't know if she's fully plant-based or not, but you know, these are tactics that people are like these. She's using it as a tool at least. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, These are tactics that like aging athletes are using to stay young and to recover faster because I mean, everybody knows that like the name of the game is recovery and how fast you can recover before you can train again. So this is one of the many reasons why I think we should explore plant-based eating more, especially for performance sports. What was uh, Lewis's involvement in, was he, was he involved in the game changers? Yeah. He's he's one of the EPs of the film. Yeah, Yeah. 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 I think there's, there's been there's been quite a few EPs. We were, when we were in Harvard, there was a guy named Sedano. Sedano, he's like a, the captain of the Bruins, like an NHL hockey team okay. there. And whenever I met him at Harvard, he was he was on the panel. He was explaining how I mean, he's a big guy. He's like seven foot tall. He's huge, like this massive. I think he's Slovakian or something like that. But he was saying that he's been eating plant based for a while now, and all of his teammates are also like adopting plant-based diets because they they've noticed significant differences in, in their, in their performance as well. So I think it's just a matter of time before it becomes the norm for, for these professional athletes to be fully plant-based or at least plant-based during their training seasons or their, their on seasons. Yeah. And now, nowadays there's so many resources out there that people can do it and, and do it successfully and, mm-hmm. and really get great results. So mm-hmm. you're right. We're, we're only, I think at the tip of that, we're going to see so many more success stories in the coming five, 10 years. Yeah, Cool, man. It's always good to have you on the show. Thank you, brother. Now, as I said, most people probably already have connected with you, but if people want to find you on Instagram or, or check out your program, perhaps they're looking for some more personalized advice for their plant-based journey, how can they do so? You can find me on Instagram, everything, Facebook, YouTube, Nimai Delgado. If you want more resources, I also have uh, 
a fitness page where it's called veganfitness.com, where we share a lot of infographics and tips and tricks yeah, awesome. and, and recipes that people can follow. I also have a food page, vegan bodybuilding food. And also we didn't talk about this, but I just, we just launched a vegan meal delivery service in the UK. Actually, let's go through that. Yeah. That so cool. this is probably my most exciting project that we've been working on the past 18 months is having, you know, because when people come to us, we can provide them only so much. We can provide them with, you know, the training programs, the meal programs. We have supplements now, but that's still a big barrier for people to go out and shop and then come home and cook the food and make it taste good right away. There is a process there that most people are like not willing to to learn. So we thought, why not make make it one step easier and just have the food delivered to your door? And um, we started off in the UK because we already had a commercial kitchen relationship in place that made it much easier for us to go to market. And we is that is that got something to do with Derek or or did no, I just say no. something? Was he just trying the meals or yeah? Uh, Derek's Derek's been kind of like a you know on our like a close friend of ours and advisor for for many different yeah, things. Okay. But he's a cool guy. Uh, yeah, I love Derek, man. One of the nicest yeah, guys yeah. ever. Uh, but we really tried to to tackle multiple different issues. So all of our packaging is is zero plastic, completely compostable. And we're a carbon neutral company. So every, every we try to offset our delivery, our carbon footprint by planting trees. The meals that we've generated are completely whole food plant-based. They're Ayurvedic as well. So there's a lot of traditional, uh, Eastern traditional like uh, herbs and spices that really help with decreasing inflammation, optimizing your hormones. And the best part about it is like they're high in protein, which for for people that are just getting into this lifestyle, it's the number one question mm. is like, am I getting it enough protein? you got to take that box. Yeah, am I going to get yeah. enough protein? So we designed these meals to be whole food plant-based, no oil, no salt, no sugar. And uh, the, most of our range of meals has like 30 to 50 grams of protein per meal. So trying to tackle all of these, these issues and making it affordable has been a pretty difficult problem to solve. Mm-hmm. But we've, we've come to a place where we're really happy with um, what we've So how's that work? Out. You've got the, there's like a commercial kitchen, but someone can presumably just order online. Yeah. Yeah. So we do, we do, it's frozen. So it comes frozen and it's anywhere next day delivery in the entire UK. So you can choose your delivery day. You can put like, I think it's up to six meals in one box and just get get it delivered. You can choose your, uh, where you get it delivered and what day, and you can put it on subscription. And that way you never have to worry about you know, cooking your food, or even if you do one or two of these meals per day, like you're hitting a lot of like your, your healthy macronutrient numbers for, for athletes. And most people, they have this impression that it's only athlete food, but it's not like it's good enough for athletes, but it's good enough for everyone, whether you're just trying to eat healthier and incorporate more plants into your diet as well. You're planning to bring that here? Yeah, yeah. That's the biggest, uh, my biggest project this year is to replicate that business model out here. But the problem is, is that there's not enough plant-based kitchens out here because we have a fully plant-based kitchen over there. And over here, the commercial kitchen spaces are all cross-contaminated with meat. And we don't want to to use and operate equipment that's being, Mm. you know, purposed for both, for meat products and non-meat products. So, Mm. um I think we're just going to have to make our own kitchen. Yeah. Or if someone's <laughs> listening and has any ideas. Yeah. Feel free to reach out. We're looking for, yeah, we're looking for commercial kitchen spaces to, to operate out of. Um, I'm that sure way. there's going to be someone that, that is, is, has got a solution there. Yeah. Yeah. So if you guys want to check it out, it's called Vegan Fitness Meals. And uh, right now we're exclusively in the UK, but we are looking to bring that over to the States as soon as possible because I, I to be honest, I'm quite jealous that we don't have it here because the food is yeah. fantastic and I would use it every single day. And that's that's always been like our, you know, my my main philosophy is like put things out that I would actually use. No plastic's and, cool. How'd you get around that? 
That was a tough one. It was a tough one. But you know, the UK is a lot farther along with sustainable materials than okay. the US. I would say they're like a year ahead of like the US. So. Did you know what the material is on that? Yeah. So we use compostable, uh, the bottom part. If you, if you think of like a regular meal prep, uh, like frozen delivery company, normally it comes in like a, a plastic container with a plastic uh, yeah. seal on top. Yeah. yeah. Like, like a, like a, uh, if you order, you know, a Chinese food delivery plastic container. Is that what you mean? Uh, but it, it's like a seal. It's like a heat sealed, uh, plastic film. Oh yeah. I know. Yeah. So you have yeah, to like yeah, rip yeah, off the tear film. It off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. um, we, we found these compostable, uh, bottoms and then for the top, we found a, a plant alternative that is just as effective as, as plastic, but it's made from, uh, I believe cellulose. There you go. Yeah. So trying to reduce the plastic use, uh, while also providing like a, you know, um, something that's frozen is, is is pretty hard to do. So that's cool. I'm, I'm yeah. glad that sort of innovations are now, you know, becoming accessible. Yeah. Well, I think the bar has just been getting set higher and higher for companies, especially in the UK. Like their policy changes are like they're going hard on plastic consumption. So I think that that's yet to happen here in the states. I think there's some companies that are making a shift towards using less plastic. But again, it's it's something we could definitely do better here. Yeah, same in Australia. I mean, we yeah. could probably borrow the the UK politicians yeah. for a couple of weeks, <laughs> help us set that up. That'd be great. Yeah. All right, dude. It's been a pleasure. Yep. Thanks, Simon. Let's uh, let's do this again. Always. Yeah, yeah. Whenever you want me on, let's do it. And um, yeah, whenever I pick up the podcast again on my end, um, I'd love to do another episode with you as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Cheers, mate. Cheers. There we go, friends. More from Nimai Delgado. Be sure if you are from the UK and looking for convenient vegan meals to go to veganfitnessmeals.com. I'll pop the link to that into the show notes. And if you want to share this episode or share feedback with Nimai, you can find him and tag him on Instagram using at Nimai underscore Delgado. That's at N-I-M-A-I underscore D-E-L-G-A-D-O. Thanks for tuning in, friends. I appreciate all of you. I really do. If you haven't already and are enjoying the show, please leave a review on the Apple Podcast app. It helps the show reach more people. I've got some great episodes coming out in the next few weeks to share with you some really, really good stuff. And yes, Dr. B is coming back for round four, or maybe it's round five. I'm losing track. All right. On that note, I'm going to go for a workout. Let's wrap this one up. Friends, I'll see you in the next episode.